and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about late season weed control. This is a topic that is near and dear to our hearts because since Darren and I were little kids, we've been responsible on our farm for late season weed control, mid season weed control, early season weed control. So anyway, we've got to get these weeds under control if we want to maximize yield. Darren was telling a story the other day about uh, Cobra and how farmers all worried about, oh, it's going to burn the beans. This is many years ago. And where he sprayed the Cobra, yep, burned the beans a little bit, but he gained five bushels. So... There's There are always these trade-offs, and it gets really tough when you're in the middle of the summer. It's hot. You think the crop is suffering, or maybe it actually, in reality, is suffering a little bit, just like ours is right now from lack of rain or heat or whatever. And you go, ah, maybe I'll just let the weeds go. We can do that, but especially with a crop like soybeans, late-season weeds absolutely can hurt yield. And just as bad, they can then go to seed and hurt yields for many years. We, we in some cases, have let some weeds go, and usually it takes us four or five years to clean them up. So I, I, I guess, obviously, if it's your farm, it's your decision on what you want to do, but let's say you do want to stop those weeds late season, that's really our topic today. And here's the other thing. So just this morning, I was uh, uh, talking to Corteva a little bit about Enlist One. And the person that I was talking to just made the comment that, you know, a lot of people aren't following all the instructions or directions that we're giving them. And so that's leading to a little bit worse control. And I said, well, yeah, but one of the things, too, is it was so warm this spring when guys were actually planting. The beans popped out of the ground faster than people were expecting. So some pre's didn't get on. And I just said, well, think about this. If I've got weeds that are so so thick out there. I've got weeds that are literally shading out other weeds. It's impossible to get that coverage. So we can talk all we want about, well, we got to use the right nozzle and right adjuvants and, you know, all this stuff. Well, (laughs) there's only so much that you can do. There's only so much that sprayer will do. And unfortunately, it takes multiple applications. That's what we've pretty much always found in almost any crop. If you want to try to get by in a one-pass type system, you're going to have some weed escapes. And that's kind of our point here today is you can let them go, but then they might hurt your yield and then they might go to seed. So anyway, when it gets to late in the year here, what can you do? Well, if you're past the dicamba date, let's say that your beans are even, I found some beans the other day that were R3 already. R3! I couldn't believe it. That's first pod. And at R3, technically, you're now off-label for Liberty. You're off-label for Roundup. I don't care that the trait says you can use it. The label on Liberty or Roundup, Liberty's R1. That's it. Same thing with Enlist 1. Uh, with Roundup, it's R2. So you're done. You're cut off. So now what do you do after that point? You don't have a whole lot of options left. So we're going to talk about what those options would be on today's show. If you've got any questions for us, you can give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD, or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Right now, let's hit the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian, got this question in from Robert, and he said... I've got a question about keeping our ditches clean. 
we've got milkweeds that are spreading out into our field and we're trying to stop them from getting in the field. So I'm, I'm curious, what can I use around the field edges and then fields in general, uh, other than 2,4-D or dicamba? That, that could be a little better. I've used some Tordon where I can, but obviously I've got to be concerned about runoff and, and trees and those kinds of things. So I'm wondering, is there something else like AIM or a less popular product out there that we don't talk about enough that would do a decent enough job on milkweed that I could find something else to use? No. Very simply, no. So milkweed is a perennial weed. So really the only thing that's going to be great on it in my experience is Roundup. And here's the other thing that's challenging with milkweed. It's got a very waxy leaf. So it, it, if you get your concentration of herbicide or water to herbicide, if that concentration is too diluted, then you have so much running off anyway, there's not a lethal dose that's there. So what I'm saying is, couple of things. Number one, I love Roundup, but obviously that will kill grass. You'd have to just basically shoot herbicide at the weed. Uh, number two, make sure that you have a lot of water, or sorry, a lot of Roundup, very little water. A lot of Roundup, very little water. You want to keep that concentrated droplet going. If you don't have a concentrated droplet, then you're just not going to get a good kill. And third, if you do want to just spray something across everything and you say, all right, please don't use Toradon. That's going to last in the soil for a decade probably. And you just run the risk of, oh, a little bit blows out into your field. It's going to hurt your soybeans next year or two years from now or three years from now. So it'll kill trees. I mean, I I just, you can do it, I guess, if you want to, but I sure wouldn't do that if I'm talking fence lines or something and right on the field border. Personally, for a 2,4-D, I like Freelex. It doesn't volatilize like the old 2,4-D did. Now, it can drift just like any other product can drift. I just looked at some drift yesterday from some 2,4-D. If the wind's blowing right at your crop, of course it's going to cause damage. But otherwise, I really like 2,4-D. It will burn the tops off the, the milkweed, and you'll have to spray them three times a year at least, most likely, and you'll just be spraying multiple years. So otherwise... It's literally and painstakingly. You got to go out there with a backpack, with a four-wheeler, whatever, and just squirt the the weed just like we used to do in the old bean rider days. All right. Thanks for the question. Our phone lines will be open throughout the show today. If you have a question, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. It's a great way to send a picture or a tissue test or soil test, something like that, so we can chat about it together. You can send a picture in and call in and discuss whatever you sent in as well. We're talking today uh, about late-season weed control on Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. 
When it comes to protecting your field from disease and environmental stress, there's Revitec fungicide. <laughs> and there's everything else. When it comes to unparalleled power, there's Revitec. <laughs> and everything else. And when it comes to speed and stamina, this is Revitec. And this is everything else. Nothing else comes close to Revitec fungicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucento fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all legal directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin studio today, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And there are a lot of questions around this topic, late season weed control. We've got Alice Harris with us right now with BASF. How are you doing, Alice? I'm good. How are y'all? Well, we're doing pretty good and mostly because our fields are clean, Alice. We, we did a good job. Our post products have worked and we've added some residual. Everything seems to be holding, but I talked to other farmers that have not caught in a rain and they said my residual hasn't gotten activated. I got some weed escapes now and now I'm nervous because we're past the window for spraying a lot of these products out there. So when you get these questions about late season weed control in corn and soybeans and other crops, where do you start? Well, I mean, it's great to hear that y'all are definitely using your residuals, you're getting your applications out there. A lot of what we really need to think about is that prevention and having that planned approach when we head into our seasons. And I think a lot of guys do a really good job with that. You mentioned the weather and how y'all are very dry over in that part of the world. Fortunately, in Ohio, we've been getting a lot of rains. Um, but when we think about that, a lot of it is um, thinking about other aspects of what we can be doing so like i mentioned having that planned approach getting your residuals out there a lot of it can do with what kind of residual you are picking there are some that are better at hanging out in that soil even without activation so when you do get a chance rain you can get some of that popping up now as far as that post application without that residual weeds are getting big you're starting to push those label boundaries so those application cutoff timings i know are really hedging up on a lot of guys right now so having uh, another post pass could be beneficial using something like in soybeans for example liberty 
that is a really great product that you can adjust the use rate, you can adjust your GPA even to help achieve better coverage and get more product out there to kill those growing points. You know, you um, mentioned, on the you corn- mean, no, hold on, yeah. hold on, just let me talk about that Liberty just a little bit, because <laughs> we have been talking about this a lot, and I, I'm with you on that. I love this about Liberty, that there's some flexibility here. When you look at use rates, I've talked to a lot of farmers that said, well, I used 32 ounces my first pass. What can I do in pass two? Well, you can go up to 43 ounces. Well, once you start doing that, it's it's almost like it's a whole different product. It's 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 always good at 32 on small weeds at 43. Three, uh, it's good. It's really, really good on those small weeds, and it can actually help get some that, in my experience, I know you can't say this, but some that are even off label at forty-three, <laughs> we do we've got a lot better shot at it than we do at thirty-two. I'll say that. No, I would agree. A lot of times over here, we have guys who, you know, if you're running on small weeds, three to four inch and smaller, that thirty-two ounces can be really good, especially if you're tank mixing with other modes of action out there. Once you start getting bigger, I typically have a rule of thumb. Once your average weed size is over that four inch, bumping up immediately and not messing around with that 32, just going straight to that 43, 36 maybe. Um, I like to recommend my guys just go straight up to the 43 just because weed heights vary across that field. You know, not all weeds are going to come up and all stay that same height. So I like to go up higher with that situation, just get more product out there. Something else we also talk a lot about, too, is increasing your GPA. So going from 15 to 20, if that's what y'all are running. And then we've had guys this year even going up to 25 just to ensure that coverage with that higher use rate and getting a really good application on some of those weedier fields that didn't get activated at the beginning and had some hairier challenges coming into this later postseason. Okay, a couple more things on the Liberty. When you talk yeah. about using more gallons to get more coverage, that's one part of this. But the other thing is your spray droplet size and your spray pressure. What are you seeing there? And then also, how about for the guys that say, man, our humidity is really low. And I know that's always a challenge for, for a lot of herbicides. Do you want a different droplet size if you've got, say, below 40% humidity? Or, or how do you handle that? I wouldn't say so. I still like to stick to that medium droplet size, making sure we have that coverage. Um, As far as the pressures go, I still recommend running the appropriate pressure for whatever your spray rig is, you know, required to meet those um, and keep that droplet size on medium. The one thing you can do is definitely mess with your adjuvants and making sure we have proper adjuvant use rates. So something like AMS, for example, You know, a lot of guys like to run a pound and a half or somewhere between a pound and a half and three pounds. I strongly recommend, especially in these drier conditions, you know, going out with that full three pounds really helps get that penetration into the leaves of the weeds and really help with that effective kill. Yeah, there are a lot of things that you can do, and I, and I get it. If you're a farmer and you're saying, well, I thought I made the right choice here picking Liberty. You did. You made a good choice. But then there's yes. some different things here to make it work, whether it's use rate, the amount of gallons of water you're putting out there. You always got to have I, – I just always stay with that three pounds of AMS. I've found better performance that way because that really is important. Do you, do you talk about that a lot with farmers, about how that ammonium sulfate really plays into making the glufosinate work? Yes, that's a big part of the conversation because I think when we think about other products, the AMS, you know, really helps it out. But when it comes to Liberty, AMS is just really a key player in having that 
good efficacy and good performance of Liberty. So having the right amount in there, it's just going to help really overload that plant with ammonia, help free up some of those free ions in there, really allow that active ingredient to work like it needs to, and just help have a better kill overall. Well, this is great advice. We're talking with Alice Harris uh, over in Ohio. And, of course, Alice says she's sharing that rain for all of us in dry country. So we appreciate that, Alice. Thank you for sending the rain our way, too. Yes, no, you can. We, we tend to get quite a bit of it. And right now we're in a, a going on a three-week stretch. So a lot of our guys are running into those bigger weed issues and not being able to get out in the field. So if we can send it anywhere, I'm happy to share it. <laughs> well, uh, you hit it right. There's going to be weather challenges. So when you do have a good spray day, you just have to get after. You have to drop everything else and get out there and get it done because we're talking about late season weed control today. You just don't have much time left with a lot of these options we've got. So do encourage you if you get a nice spray day wherever you're at. Hopefully you're listening to this as you're running the sprayer. Alice, we got to let you run but really appreciate all the info today no thank y'all so much for having me it's good to hear from y'all you bet i've got mike wingrove with us right now who gets a lot of these same questions what do you do about late season weed control mike are you are you saying man we should have we should have or are you saying okay well here we go here's what we do yes um right now it's dry as it's been we're we're in that phase of how are we going to get them killed? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, no doubt about it. Nobody has a cultivator anymore, Mike. So whenever I bring that option out of, well, did you get the cultivator out yet? Guys just look at me like, what are you talking about? Yes, um, cultivators would be nice, but um, I guess we got we got the ammo to get them killed. I caught the end of Allison's talk there, you know. Um, I liked her 43-ounce use rate with her Liberty. Um, we recommend that. We have we recommend that on guys, you know, tell them to go out full rate right away, put a good residual down, try to hold them weeds back as long as we can, and then hopefully we don't have to do a second pass. But if we do, hopefully we got the big weeds to start. That way when we come back, we can maybe lower that use rate or see how big them weeds actually are. What do you think about Cobra, Flexstar? Well, probably not Flexstar now where you're at, but Cobra, Ultra Blazer, those kinds of things. If a guy had to, uh, are they still decent options on the weeds you got? Yeah, I, I do like the Cobra, Ultra Blazer. Um, obviously, you're going to see that burn. You're going to burn the burn the beans, um, but I believe that that burns into the weed as well and helps kill it. Um, yeah, you mentioned the flex star. We're getting laid on that with the carryover issues, but, um, talked to a couple guys. They, they believe they have some herbicide carryover from last year. So yeah, the flex star is not an option for us right now. Nope. That's for sure. Yeah. It's, this is a problem. When we get late in the season, we know we still want to stop these weeds if we can. And, and we just are starting to run on less and less options out there. Uh, speaking with Mike Wingrove here, he works with the guys in the extreme ag group. Mike, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you. Hopefully you aren't facing late season weed problems out in your fields but if you are we are talking late season weed control today and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. 
with three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab. It's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. <laughs> we feel heaven Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new Battalion Amp herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Combine header loss means loss income. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. It's common to see a two bushel loss per acre due to header loss. That's over $14 per acre. 360 Yield Saver replacement gathering chains cut header loss by cushioning the ear and by closing the gaps between the deck plates. 360 Yield Saver can cut header loss by 80%, adding $14 per acre. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about late season weed control. I don't want to get your hopes up. If you've got two foot tall weeds out there and they're solid across your entire field and they've completely choked out your soybeans, I don't know that we necessarily have the rescue option for you to kill all those weeds, but uh, we'll do our best here. We're, we're going to enlist some help. We've got Mark Lauchs with us right now at Ohio State. Uh, Mark, not saying we got complete weed disasters out there, but what if we get six or eight inch tall weeds? That's off label on almost every product out there. You know, I don't think we hardly spray anything on label anyway. I mean, does it make any difference? <laughs> I don't know that many people that spray that. And I say that only a little bit tongue in cheek, really. And, then, you know, the Roundup thing got us used to that where we just let yes. everything get bigger than that. And of course, for giant ragweed, which we deal with, you can't spray it when it's three to four because you got the whole next 75% of the ones coming out of the ground after that. So 
you go later, but then, you know, now we're back to water hemp where it's super critical, right? That you have to be able to spray that small. So, um, I mean, you, you start to start to pull out all the stops and then you also, this time of the season hit restrictions, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So you start you losing start, a lot start, of options. Yeah. You start to hit, you know, flowering, don't spray before flowering, spray before R2. I, I think a lot gets sprayed after that. And I've made the recommendation too. I, I think it's based on residues and intolerance is not necessarily injury to the bean. So I tell people not to worry about it too much, but I mean, back to your question, depending on the platform you have, you, you want to pull out the stops. So if you've got like a platform that allows you to use, for example, Liberty glufosinate and, you know, 2,4-D, um, then, you know, that's probably what you want to do in that situation, right? Bump rates up um, in a non-GMO situation, that's going to be tough. And also in a roundup ready, that you know that doesn't have the other traits and that's because we have resistance to glyphosate just kind of hammers us there and resistance to other products too hey you mentioned liberty plus enlist one what have you seen with that the guys uh, out here in the west have really liked it even on weeds like kosher yeah you got the best of both worlds there i mean you just have to figure out if if you have some tough grasses you're you're gonna have to add some some clethodim select or whatever or in some cases i suppose you could throw glyphosate in um, but no, that, I think that looks good. That's a, that's, I, I don't know if it's a go-to for people here on water hemp. I don't, I don't think it is yet. I think it depends on how well their pre works and kind of how big the water hemp gets, but I know if it gets big, that's become a go-to and there's been that shift to enlist away from extend somewhat because of less baggage yeah. and less restrictions on how you can spray a post. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I understand that. Hey, how about this too, Mark? And you mentioned it depends on how well your pre works on some of this stuff. What have you seen with fall weed control? And I know you've got some no-tillers. I know you've got some guys doing strip-till. Do you see fall weed control being one of the options too? Yeah, but not not really for water hemp or, you know, summer annuals. You can't get anything that lasts long enough. You know, their residual basically peters out. So our advice always on fall is use fall to go after the weeds that are emerged at that time. Having said that, you got a couple products. You can get a little bit out of Valor into the spring, the Fluoxacin, and a little bit out of, and you can get a, actually a fair amount out of Clearmuron, you know, um, canopy products, which don't get used as much. But it's still, in a time you really want residual, your your falls, you know, it's it's long gone. So our advice on fall has typically been go low price, just use whatever you need to to knock the stuff else out, and then maximize your residual the next spring. Yeah, we've had good luck on things like mare's tail and dandelion and, and even uh, some of the kochia that gets started super early in the spring that we've done a pretty nice job with that with some of those fall options. And if nothing else, kind of like what you were saying with the giant ragweed, yeah, you got the big ones that you see, but what about the tons of little ones that are underneath? At least maybe you wipe out that first flush that, that now you can go out and kill the rest of them and they're a little easier to get coverage on. Yeah, I think that's that's what your goal is, the problem with giant ragweed is you got about three products that have any residual in beans, uh, yes, right? you got other yes. products in corn. And so once you have ALS resistance, you're, you're kind of out. And so then it throws you back on your total post. I mean, the best we typically see if you don't have ALS resistance is you can hope to get maybe 70% from a product that has first trader classic in it or, you know, those type of products. Yeah, I was at an Iowa State trial a number of years back, and they had used the old lasso as the pre-emerge herbicide, and it was just solid giant ragweed out in the field. And they were joking, well, I think some of these pre's have become fertilizer for the giant ragweed. It sounds like you're seeing the same thing with a lot of products now. 
Yeah, well, it's a tough weed. It's a deep germinator. There's a lot of stuff that just doesn't have any activity on it, period. And so it's just a tough weed. I mean, Lasso, we give a zero. I mean, Lasso doesn't. Um, but I remember Lasso, that good purple stuff with a good smell. <laughs> yes. Good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. How about how about this? How about um, weeds hurting yield? I've heard farmers say this too. Well, in corn, you know, those first 12 inches of corn growth are the most important for a weed-free field. In soybeans, it doesn't seem like that's the case. seems like weeds can, can make harvestability tough, and they can certainly take yield no matter when they pop up. That's just my impression. Is that what reality is? Uh, no, I don't think the research – I think the research basically supports that critical weed-free period where you can leave them in for so long, and then you have to keep it you know, weed-free for another few weeks, or, or you can keep it weed-free for a certain period, and then they can come in. I. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. Going back to your what you just said, corn once it gets to a certain size is more more competitive with weeds and beans are. So I think, um, yeah, that's right. I, I do agree with that. But you know, there I don't know if you remember Weedsoft, the computer program developed that basically took all this into account and said, well, you have this many weeds and it's been this many weeks weed free, so you shouldn't need any applications to reduce yield. And but what happened was once we started to shut down seed production from a resistant weed, that all sort of went out the window because you've got the issue of, okay, I don't need to control those weeds because they're too late and they probably can't reduce yield, although they may influence harvestability. But I can't let all that water hemp go to seed when it's got 500,000 to a million seeds per plant. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. It's it's just a whole different animal, no doubt about that. Uh, we're talking with Mark Lauchs here with Ohio State. Uh, Mark, lots of different systems out there. I know we've got small grains that are getting ready to harvest. How about spraying right after harvest? Uh, we're kind of later season here. Do you see a lot of guys putting out residuals in those, or are they just going cheap and, and using dicamba, 240, uh, those types of products? We We go cheap. We don't use residual in that. Uh, situation. I mean, we. I, I think some, we have double crop beans that goes that go in. So I think in some cases some residual goes uh, in there. But I think our our tendency is not to use uh, residual. So I think we're more likely to make. I mean, if you can't make it till fall, you're more likely to make a spray or in some cases mow, but that's painfully slow, right? Um, sometime into the end of July, early August for us, and then maybe come back with another fall application if you need one. But fall applications have also dropped off somewhat. Um, because of how good our platforms are, you know, they enlist and extend. But that's also caused for us an increase of the weeds you just talked about, like dandelion started to come back. And dandelion's a tough weed once it's got a big taproot on it. So Yeah, yeah it sure is. Sure is. Uh, speaking about kind of surprise weeds, I know for us this year it was wild buckwheat. I think a lot of guys got caught by surprise. Wild buckwheat seemed to have a good year in our area, and we don't normally fight that much of it. Uh, how about in Ohio? Was there anything that you said, man, I get a lot of calls about this weed that I normally don't hear about? Last two years, burr cucumber, which when it comes in, I, I have to say, is about the worst weed known to man. In, in corn, <laughs> it'll take down a – I don't know if buckwheat does this because we don't really have much wild buckwheat here, but fur cucumber can come in in July and still sort of take down a whole corn. You know, we're just covered over so you can't even get through. I mean, the joke is you just park the combine at the edge of the field and reel it in, right? <laughs> um, and that would be for beans, I guess. But, but yeah, that's the one that over the past couple of years I and – and, you know, it's weird. Like, there obviously are certain weather trends that are just different enough from year to year that you know, this year favored for cucumber, which, you know, I, I find kind of strange. you got other weeds that we have year in and year out, right? Some fluctuation, water, I'm trying to regularly flame squatter, you know, grasses, whatever. And then you have these weeds 
Um, but burr cucumber is nasty. Um, it's, it's tough, and it, it comes in uh, or starts to come in after when the corn's, you know, 30 to 40 inches tall. And, you know, you're you're basically out of options, and it takes special equipment, so it's a real pain when it does that. Is there anything that has enough residual? You know, if you had an HPPD out there, would it hold? Or if you had a, I gosh, I don't even know what else you'd say, but uh, is there anything at all that holds long, or or everything's just run out of gas by then? Uh, your two good products are Isoxaflutol, which is in core with some balance, and then Mesotrione, right, which is Callisto. And so our recommendation, I had a grad student did some work on this, and we is try to try to use something up front that's got one of those two in it to get you started. And then if you can make it, try to delay your post and do like a glyphosate, Callisto, whatever Mesotrione you like. You know, when the corn's like 20 to 30 inches tall, and then the, that, the Mesotrione does have some residual, and, and it will help. Thanks, Mark. Uh, Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spin spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm and the Ag PhD field that just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Nothing but net. Win your soybean season with the fast knockdown and lasting broad-spectrum control of Elevest Insect Control from FMC. Take on army worms, stink bugs, soybean loopers, and more with the maximized ratio of premier active ingredients for better overall control of more than 40 labeled pests. Visit your FMC retailer or elevest.ag.fmc.com to up your game this season. Always read and follow all label directions. Are you ready? We got the need! Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. 
Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today, just talking about late season weed control. So, just today, I had an agronomist ask me. He said, "Well, first of all, it was this. Okay, I had my guys put pre's out. Didn't get hardly any rain until just now, like a month after the pre's went out. How effective are those pre's still going to be?" And in this particular case, it was Authority, or Spartan, basically, uh, Sulfentrazone, and Metribuzin. And I said, I'm not too worried about either one of those. Uh, Quite frankly, most residual herbicides that we can throw out there, if you don't get much rain on them, they just hang around. So you you typically don't lose a lot of these instantly. And so are you still going to have 100% effectiveness a month later? No, but you're still going to have pretty good effectiveness. So I'm not that worried about it. But by the same token, we've talked about this a couple times on the show here in the last couple of weeks. Think about this year and what it's been in a lot of areas, drier than normal. And because of that, plants are shorter than normal. Okay, so that means longer, more time until we reach crop canopy, especially if in soybeans you're in 30 inch rows, like we are on our farm. I'm, go- I'm looking at our beans going, yeah, we're going to get there. We're going to get to canopy. I'm not worried that we're not going to close the rows, in our case anyway. But it's going to be later than normal. So because of that, what do I need? I need more residual. So anyway, this agronomist had asked me, well, should I throw more residual out now? But I did just get rain, and these early ones are kicking in now. And I go, look, anytime a farmer asks, uh, should I throw more residual out? My answer is usually going to be yes. Sure, it's great. I mean, unless, of course, you're like right at canopy. If you've got five days until you reach canopy, then no, it's probably not going to be worth it for you. But just looking at beans, uh, especially for this agronomist in his area, um, we're at least a month away from canopy. So would I be willing to throw a little more residual out? Sure, I would. As long as I'm not past the label restriction or anything, and I can, I I just said the, the limitation is usually if the farmer's willing to invest the money or not. But with the later we're going to reach canopy in a lot of cases this year, especially for this agronomist in South Dakota, um, the better chance that that residual is going to pay. Because let's just think through this thing logically for a second. Okay, let's say you don't throw more residual out and you don't have great control. You have okay control and it's two or three weeks from today. Well, two or three weeks from today is going to put you roughly mid-July. You're probably going to be at R3 maybe past that, but let's just call it R3. So like I said earlier in the show, that takes 2,4-D off the table, takes Roundup off the table, takes Liberty off the table. Dicamba's already pretty much off the table. Flexstar's already gone. Too late for that. Uh, what are we down to? <laughs> we do not have a lot of options left. You got Cobra. You got Cadet. Um, there's Resource that's great on Velvet Leaf. Um, you've got, I mean, well, a- anyway, you t- you see where I'm going with this. We don't have a lot of choices. Otherwise, you can always go out there and walk the beans and pull the weeds or take a hoe out there. Um, right. Not many people are, are going to do that. So this is where that residual conversation really comes in. The other thing is, as we move forward, 
we talk about cultural practices all the time. So what are the cultural practices you could use next year? So let, let's set this year for aside for just a second. Let's say that you end up with some weeds that you're just not able to get under control. Let's talk about next year. How do we make that better so you don't have so many weeds? And sure, we're always going to tell you use great pre-emerge herbicides. Like in soybeans, we talk about the three pre's. Next year, we might be talking about four. But anyway, uh, we want you to get a really good pre-emerge herbicide program out there, and that helps you just tremendously. But in terms of cultural practices, one of the biggest things is narrow rows. So if you go seven inch rows, seven inch row spacing, for example, you are going to reach crop canopy way before you do in 30 inch rows. Now, granted, there's the downside that comes with that. Like, you're, hey, you're going to have more disease issues, potentially. But I, it's something that I would look at. If you're constantly struggling to kill the weeds out there, look at narrow rows. Something you can do. And yes, you might say, well, then that means I might have to spray another shot of fungicide. Okay, but a shot of fungicide is going to cost you, what, $10, $15? Whereas, what are those weeds going to cost you? 10 or $15 is one bushel of beans. Are the weeds out in your field that you're not controlling, are they costing you more than that? So these are the things you got to kind of weigh out. Uh, beyond that, I'm always going to tell you on soybeans, plant early. The earlier you plant, the better chance you have for those beans to canopy relatively early and before the weeds get the chance to get ahead of the beans. Uh, beyond that, when you're using herbicides, use the right ones. We see a lot of people using too many herbicides that have too much either resistance or tolerance. Even like, okay, a little earlier I was talking about Enlist 1. Well, um, if you, you say, well, it's just not quite perfect on the weeds, or let's say you have kochia and it's not going to be perfect on stuff, well, throw something else in that makes it perfect. Throw some liberty in with your Enlist 1. Or in terms of residual control, don't be using just ALS herbicides that we know have lots of resistance issues. Get Metribuzin and a PPO and a yellow out there. I mean, use something like the yellows, for example. I see so many people have gone away from the yellows. Trifluralin, Sonlan, Prowl. People have gone away from them. Why? They're amazing at killing most of these weeds. I get it that you've got to get them out there before you plant the beans or maybe before they emerge in some areas. But so what? I mean, it's not that tough. They don't cost any more than the group 15s, and they're better than the group 15s. And then you can save your group 15 for early post. That's what we did on our farm this year. We went to conventional beans. So we used a yellow along with Metribuzin and a PPO pre-emerge or incorporated. And then post-emerge, we came with a group 15 and Flexstar early on, and that was fantastic and we've had amazing control and are there a few spot weeds here and there we had to do a few things to clean some things up yes but i already had five herbicides out there before the beans were six inches tall and i mean my fields have been quite clean all the way through so anyway lots of things you can do but um, when you start early and you plan ahead once you get to this point, and we're late in the season, and I mean, like I've been saying, you're going to have a bunch of things kind of drop off here that you can't use them anymore once we get past R1, past R2. So you better get after it quickly if you still have some things you need to spray. Otherwise, you're down to very few choices. All right, let's jump back into the Ag PhD mailbag. 
All right, Brian, Walter sent this over, and he said, I'm wondering if you guys have seen this on the news, and could you get one of these machines and test it on your Iron Talk segment? It's artificial intelligence uh, with a robot that goes out to take weeds out with lasers. It's a 20-foot-wide unit comprised of three rows of 10 lasers pulled behind a tractor. And their comment is it does the equivalent work of 70 people. I don't know that it's going to get over very many acres, but just curious what you guys thought. Is that an option, or is that just for specialty crop guys? Well, everything is an option. How much money do you have? I mean, I can't imagine that's going to be very cost-effective, because right now, if you— Ten acres per hour is what they anticipate. I don't care about that. What's the cost of the machine? Yeah. That's that's what I care about. And this is going to have to run— Quite off. Well, here, let's just run some simple math. Can it, can it run in the dark? That's another question I'd have. If, if it Ooh, could run yeah. in the dark so it could go 24-7. You know, a lot of people don't think about this, but at the longest day of the year, if you're in North Dakota versus if you're in Georgia, you have, I think it's three plus extra hours of sunlight. I mean, it's very, very significant. So, yes, yeah, but to if, your point. If it, it could run overnight, if it's using lasers, it's not spray. So who cares if there's dew on the leaves or any of those kinds of things or... You know, how does it work when it's really windy? You know, would that throw it off because yeah. now it's and shooting over towards the row instead of just in between? Yeah, and it's nice to talk about, okay, it can do 10 acres in an hour, but it's not going to move from field to field on its own. You're going to have to move it from field to field. So even us, this year we don't have very many soybean acres for our farm. We farm about 3,500 total acres, and we only have about 800 that's into soybeans this year. So theoretically you'd go, oh, 800 divided by 10, that's 80 hours. No, no, no. Because every field, you're going to have to move during the day. So it's going to take, for our farm, probably, I'll bet you it would take 7 to 10 days. And by the time you get done, let's call it 10 days. By the time you get done with 10 days, you got to start all over. I know from walking beans years ago, when we didn't have residual herbicides out there, um, you know, there, sure, there, there, there's opportunity here. I'm not saying there isn't, but I'm just looking at what's the cost, and we'll see long term. Stay tuned. to we'll be right back. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Water Hemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. 
We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please go to agphd.com to learn more and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. The hardworking independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Martin studio and we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls at 844-44-AG-PHD and other questions, radio at agphd.com. Got this one in from Diego down in Argentina. He said, guys, I was on Twitter and some young farmer there was testing out some theories about nitrogen. I'm just curious, have you guys ever looked at something like this? And he sent a link, and he said, I can only imagine there'd be some burn if things went wrong. Oh, uh, so let's first put it this way. A lot of people think that farmers are way over-applying nitrogen, which I don't, but um, it's a nitrogen meter to test tissue. The problem that we constantly talk about here with tissue testing is it's not predictive at all. So if you aren't going to test your soil, you have no idea. But anyway, the, the all you know if you tissue test and things look good is, okay, well, we're great today. Will we, will we, get, will we be great tomorrow? I, I can't answer that question. That's why you have to soil test. But anyway, they talked about using foliar urea here. We've done that. We like that. Uh, they say, this one cracks me up. They say nitrate is a vegetative nitrogen and ammonia or ammonium is for reproduction. Well, that's just flat out not true. The plant will use, now, now granted, the plant doesn't like to bring in nitrate. It takes more energy to convert it over in the plant. So, I mean, we'd love to always have ammonium nitrogen there, but that's just, that's not realistic. That's not real world. And any nitrogen is fine for vegetative growth and for reproduction. No big deal. Okay, they say use biologicals. We also agree. They say stabilize the N. We agree. They say slow nitrification. We agree. So, I, I mean, yeah, there there are many steps toward effective nitrogen management, but to think that we're going to be in the field constantly. Now, granted, you could, I guess, if it was some specialty crop or something and you could be out there every day or twice a day and constantly measure your tissue to see, hey, am I starting to run a little low on nitrogen? But the problem is, even with that, 
I, I'm just, I'm not a believer because you don't know, hey, is there some nitrogen in my soil that I'm going to hit eventually? Is there organic matter that's going to release nitrogen for my crop tomorrow? I don't know. So I'm, I'm great with tissue testing. You just have to use it in conjunction with soil testing. Then you're really headed down the right path. All right. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that. Uh, got this one in from PD out in Idaho. And let me get you the pictures here, Brian. PD says, I'm doing a fertility trial on siphon tube gravity irrigation, and I'm taking tissue samples from parent lines from each level of fertility. I'm currently working on an additional side dress treatment of phosphorus, potassium, and micros. How do you design fertility exper experiments when your yield is not necessarily going through a combine? <laughs> um, well, you could do... Boy, you could hand harvest. I mean, I, I, I don't know what to tell you exactly. You got to have some way to measure it. Otherwise, you don't really know. Um, but and even uh, if you hand harvested, if you found a couple areas out there and you did just one one thousandth of an acre, and we've done that yes, for some different yes, trials sure. where in our 30 inch rows, we just go 17 feet, five inches. We pull all the ears off corn, for example, and weigh them out and see. We, we've done some things like that, but it's not quite as accurate as if you're doing okay. a yield monitor. Okay. Now, I want you to read back to me again. What did he say? How were they applying the P, the K, and the micros? Did he say side dress? Did he, what did he, How did he say that? Yes. Currently working on an additional side dress treatment of P and K and micros. Wait, wasn't there something with irrigation? Yes. We're, what was it? We're doing a fertility trail on a field that has gravity flow irrigation. Okay. Uh, okay. I just wanted to make sure that I didn't miss something there. And he is, taking, that's what he I is taking tissue samples, so he will yeah. be able to see, okay. you know, did it change things that way. All right. So, so here's the concern that I have. Side dressing phosphorus, and it, it looks like, and maybe I'm, I'm missing something here, but the picture that he sent, it looks like they're dribbling on the soil surface. I'll just tell you this. If you put phosphorus on the soil surface and you water it in, let's say you're putting on 10 to 20 inches of water over the course of the year, your phosphorus is probably going to go down a quarter of an inch in the ground. Now, granted, if there are holes in the ground, then it'll fall deeper than that. Okay, so that's it's possible. I don't know how many holes there are going to be in your ground. But like in our heavy soil and even in your soil, it looks like a lot of clay here. Um, it's not going anywhere. So my point is um, with phosphorus, and even potassium to some degree, put it down in the ground. Um, side dressing is not going to work. And my, now, potassium, it can. So let's say that you were in an area that has pure sand, you get 80 inches of rain, and you're doing some irrigation. Okay, yes, you're going to move that potassium, and you're going to move it through fairly quickly. I don't have any big issue with that. But even in those kind of soils, I still have an issue with phosphorus. You're not going to be as efficient with your phosphorus money as you are if you just put it in the ground and put it down where the roots are at the beginning of the year. Now, with micronutrients, it all depends on which micro we're talking about. First of all, some people lump sulfur in with micros. It's not a micronutrient. But if, if you are considering sulfur in this, uh, sulfur is going to move down quickly. So is boron. So is chloride. But on the other hand, we've got nutrients like zinc and copper that um, they're not a whole lot better than phosphorus in terms of so soil movement. So you've got to somehow get them down in the ground, put them down at the start of the year, and then you're in pretty good shape. So 
but yeah, back to the original question, you have to measure it somehow. I, I don't know what to tell you if you're not harvesting. Well, what did you say? Not running over with a combine or yeah, combine? Yeah. You don't necessarily have to. I mean, like for us, we do some tonnage trials with silage. And I mean, there are other ways to manage something besides with a combine, but you have to measure it somehow. Otherwise, you, you have no idea and you're just guessing. Okay. Thanks for the question and, and thanks for doing trials. That's awesome. If you get some, some cool results that you want to share, we'd love to hear about that too. Yeah. And I will also say, so everything we know about phosphorus, zinc, and copper, well, I shouldn't say everything. Some of the things we know about phosphorus, zinc, and copper, like not moving in the soil, that's what we just talked to you about. If you can figure it out so you can side dress and get more uptake in your plants, so and, and you can determine this by doing plant tissue analysis where you're doing side-by-sides, you side-dressed with one and then the other is untreated, you're doing tissue analysis and all of a sudden your phosphorus levels are spiking, let us know because that would be news to me and I'd be curious as to how you got that phosphorus into the plant because that's not common. All right, thanks for the the, uh, question. I got this one in from Ryan. He said, I'm up in Michigan, and this fall I'm starting out as a seed dealer for the first time. Just curious, uh, any advice you'd have for someone starting into this business to make it successful and uh, make it a good career? All right. Well, first of all, Ryan, table stakes here. You've got to be great at product knowledge. you got to know your product inside and out, where to place that. Everybody expects that. You also have to have the product where it needs to be, when it needs to be. That kind of stuff is all good. And if you're working with a good seed company, you're going to have good seed quality and those kinds of things. But a couple other things. Uh, You've got to be great at other agronomic information and kind of understand, okay, how do I make things work? Because farmers are going to have trouble every year with something. Weather's going to throw a curveball or insects or who knows what. Uh, And being good at that is, is really nice. And then I would say just always be available. So when your customers call, you just got to take the call and... And you got to be there as quick as you can. Okay. If let's say it's soybeans, most soybeans are treated at the dealer level. So you would also need to have a great seed treater and good seed treatment that's going on that seed that's going to dry quickly and is going to be very effective. The other thing I will throw out is you need to be a fertility expert. You might say, well, wait, I'm not selling fertilizer. I don't care. If you know the fertilizer end of things, so basically you can read a soil test, you absolutely will make better recommendations to any farmer out there. So, for example, when you see a guy is running ridiculously low on potassium, like I often see, then you're going to tell him, number one, you got to have something with great standability, and number two, you need to plant thin, not thick. And just those two pieces of advice is going to save that farmer all kinds of money and lots of headache because if he plants thick and plants something that naturally lodges more, uh, it's going to fall over later and you're going to get a complaint call when it had nothing to do with or very little to do with you. So I, I will often tell people, look, if you've got great fertility in the soil, you can make almost any seed look amazing. So that's the other side of this. If you want to be successful long-term, you need to be a fertility expert. Hey, the other thing too is just ask your customers, what do they expect from you? What do the best people in the industry do? And what would be amazing if somebody did? And the amazing, you might not be able to always accomplish, but at least you kind of have an idea that, oh, they think this would be amazing. I can actually do a few of those things and that would make people's day. Hey, thanks for the question. Good luck, Ryan. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday 
for more Ag PhD Radio.